hauntings, graveyards, murder, and cults. Oh my. Although not unsolved, this is the season of haunted places. And if you don't know, the podcast subtitle is Cold Cases and Haunted Places. I'm Renee Nelson, and this is Unsolved Wyoming. joining me folks. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. First, I have legendary author and Wyo native Ron Francel. Then I have historian Rick Young, the director of Casper Territorial Prison. After, I have founding member of Midnight West Productions, Josh Saxon. And as always, I have the update from Missing People of Wyoming's Desiree Tinoco. So let's get into it. My first segment is with author Ron Francel. I've worked with Ron on and off for a few years. I've actually taught one of his books in the True Crime Lit class at LCCC, and he was gracious enough to zoom in and chat with students. And recently, he actually came to the campus to work and talk with students. As soon as you start listening to the segment, you'll understand why I needed to get him on the pod. I do have to offer a trigger warning. The crimes we discuss deal with sexual assault, homicide, and unethical treatment of a corpse. You've been warned. Folks, I am here with Wyoming native Ron Francel, who has authored a number of books, and I'm going to let him tell us his books, and especially ones uh, that are related to, to Wyoming. Ron, can you tell us about your books? Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. I This, this is a lot of fun. Uh, it's Nice to be back in Wyoming, even if it's by podcast. Of course. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, well, I've written 18 books. My 18th just came out here in March. Um, it's called Shadow Man, and it's about a Montana case in the 1970s that led the FBI to uh, uh, formulate its very first criminal profile. Uh, we tend to think of profiling as being you know forever but in fact it's you know only about 50 years old so uh, that's what that book is about but as you pointed out i i've written about some wyoming cases uh, among those books one of them was uh, the darkest night uh, which is about uh, 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 the abduction uh, rape and murder involving two young girls in Casper in the early 1970s they happen to be my next door neighbors uh, so that's about the um, uh, the impact of crime on on people around the victims as well as the families and the communities so that was the the book that started me on the uh, road to true crime. Uh, And then more recently here in 2019, I wrote a book called Alice and Gerald, a homicidal love story. And it's about a couple that uh, separately and together killed five people, which is in fact uh, ties for the record in Wyoming for the, the, the most prolific killers. So uh, Wyoming, uh, it's always nice to come back to Wyoming in podcasts, and it's always nice to come back to write books. Uh, and I've had fun doing that. And we're going to talk about another one today. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, one of the reasons, you know, we've had this great opportunity to kind of like build this this friendship centered around your writing but, you know, as we were talking, you know, a couple of weeks ago about kind of the spookier places in Wyoming, you brought up one of your uh, books that actually has some kind of cool, spooky stories that are connected to true crime. And what book is that? Uh, the book you're talking about is called A Crime Buff's Guide to the Outlaw Rockies. And 
it's one of a series of crime history books that I wrote over the years, uh, specific to certain places. There's Outlaw Texas, there's Outlaw Los Angeles, um, Outlaw Pennsylvania, Washington, D.C. Outlaw Rockies is about Colorado and Wyoming, and it focuses on about, oh, two or three hundred uh, crimes in the history of Colorado and Wyoming that are uh, fascinating. Um, uh, some, you know, like uh, Columbine. You can't miss Columbine. Um, the there is Tom Horn. There are all these figures in in the history of crime in those two states. Uh, and one whole chapter, of course, is about Wyoming and what the what this book does, it, it summarizes the crime and some of the players, uh, but it also gives you precise GPS coordinates for key sites involved with these crimes. Uh, maybe it's in a graveyard, maybe it's a home. Um, it, it, there are a variety of, uh, of GPS coordinates in there. Uh, and so somebody reading this book will be able to read about, let's say, Tom Horn, and then they can actually, at least when it's not private property, they can go visit the exact spot that's, that's key to that crime or criminal. So it, it's a, it's a, it, it's an interesting way, I think, to wander around and see how uh, we literally have crime in our backyards, or at least the history of crime in our backyards. And a lot of people just aren't aware of that. And a lot of people in Wyoming don't know that they, they could be driving past every single day um, key spots that uh, play a big role, not just in Wyoming crime, but sometimes in national cases. So we can talk a little bit about that, but uh, I think in honor of this month, um, you know, I've found a few sort of creepy spots that are covered in the book, and we'll share them with your reader or with your listeners and my readers, uh, and, and maybe they'll find something interesting. Definitely. I think that is exactly, you know, in honor of spooky season, what what listeners are after. But I do have one question. And so uh -huh. I think this comes up quite a bit. Do you personally think that there is a connection between true crime and quote unquote haunted places? Uh, yes. And I'll I'll explain not not in the sense of ghosts. Um, I'm, I'm not a believer in um, ghosts, the way that word is naturally translated, um, but I am a believer in haunt. Um, a good example is that case I wrote about in The Darkest Night, the Fremont Canyon Bridge crime in near Casper in the 70s. When I was researching that book, I spent a lot of time out there, um, and it's it's a very high bridge over a very deep canyon, uh, and in the middle of nowhere. Uh, this one of the scarier places that um, a crime could be committed, and then the victim could hope to be discovered. Uh, that that one of the victims in that case was discovered uh, is miraculous in itself. But I spent a lot of time out there, including spending the night of the 30th anniversary of the crime underneath the bridge, not, not to mark the moment, but because the conditions were exactly the same as the night when the, the victim who survived that crime spent the night down there. Okay. Uh, after she'd been thrown off this bridge. Uh, to this day, I visited a few more times after that, but uh, in the last 10 or 12 years, I've never gone back to that bridge because to me, it, it's not just a span of steel across a big canyon. 
that gets me to the other side. They're, 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 my friends died there. And uh, I, I can't go there without imagining what they must have felt and how, how this ultimately affected their family and, and the community. But uh, how at that moment, the fear uh, that must have been going through their minds uh, and their hearts uh, just takes over. And it's, it's not a pleasant feeling. And I've learned over the years to kind of distance myself from that kind of thing. But nonetheless, I don't go there because to me, it's haunted. Again, not by their ghosts, but by this memory and by the knowledge of what happened there. Uh, so yes, I believe in haunted places, just maybe not in the same respect that everybody else does. Right. Not necessarily paranormal, but definitely, you know, uh, I talked about this with some, some other listeners about how the energy of the event is in that area. Exactly. And so it's, it's the energy of it, not necessarily, like you said, you know, you know, ghosts. But but definitely, uh, you know, the memory is has a has a energy signature to it. You bet. That's a good that's a good way to put it. That's a, thank you for sharing that. I, I think a lot of people like to hear different perspectives on on that aspect of how true crime and and hauntings are connected. And I think that's a really, really insightful way to to do that. Well, and I think true crime does that. I think it haunts us. We're, I, we're haunted. Yeah by stories of the Black Dahlia. We're haunted by what happened to Matt Shepard in Laramie. We're, we're haunted by the, the, the memory of this. Um, sometimes we're haunted by the, the, our lack of ability to do anything about it. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't think we're seeing spectral visions at the top of the stairs although some people might, certainly some people believe in that. Uh, I just believe we're haunted by memories and about our feelings about what happened and whether we dealt with it in a way that, that should comfort us. So um, I've been in, I was in the uh, territorial prison, uh, the frontier prison in, in Rollins, uh, and definitely felt that energy that you're talking about. So I believe it's real. Yeah, that, that's that's so that's so insightful. And the cool thing is, I actually have an interview lined up that I'm getting lined up with um, an old tour guide from the Rollins Territorial Prison, oh, and are going to talk about some of their experiences there. So that's I'm glad that you mentioned that. I think that's going to be really really good. Well, let's jump into some of these, these cases or these incidents that you that you mentioned. And so wherever you want to start. Well, I, let me start with one. And it's kind of interesting because you can go there. And uh, it, it, to me, uh, that's that's always a powerful thing. You talk about haunting. You could go to these places and let one place like that is a little cemetery out at the South Pass City historic site or near it, a couple couple miles or uh, near it, let's just say that. And of course, South Pass City is about 35 miles south of Lander. Uh, it's mainly open, uh, you know, this sort of historic little place uh, during the good year, the good months of the year. Uh, but Boot Hill Cemetery is about a quarter mile south of of the 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 historic town site. Why that's interesting to me is that uh, back in the 1860s there was a uh, an innkeeper there, and her name was Polly Bartlett, a, a woman. Uh, a single woman, and she ran this inn during the gold rush period there in South Pass. Um, and so rich people and and people with, you know, gold dreams were coming out uh, and then dying 
<laughs> so uh, this was happening with such regularity that the marshal began to look around and um, uh, when he got a little too close, Polly ran away, but she was captured in Jackson Hole and brought back to South Pass for a trial and was known as the murderess of Slaughterhouse Gulch. Oh, uh, everybody name. should have a nickname like that. <laughs> no kidding. Um, and and it was the belief was that she was poisoning these men and stealing their stuff. Uh, unfortunately, the the trial never happened. Uh, a vigilante broke in and uh, uh, broke into the jail and shot her with a shotgun and she was taken away and buried in this little boot hill cemetery it wasn't marked or at least if it was marked it isn't any longer but it's not a very big cemetery so if you went out there you you could actually stand inside and know that you're within a few yards of a serial killer's grave. What's really interesting about this is that that here in Wyoming or there in Wyoming, we have this a serial killer who who actually predates Jack the Ripper and H.H. Holmes in Chicago uh, and and is truly worth noting in true crime. So uh, that's a place where you can go stand and you can see it. Gosh, Another place that's, it, it is creepy and, and uh, it's, uh, but it's, it's part of Wyoming's history that I think is fascinating is crime history and it's regular history. Uh, there's, there's another place there in Wyoming, which is much, much, much more difficult to stand there. Um, it, it, there was a, a prospector, kind of an amateur prospector and poacher named John Moulton, who um, had actually served in the German army in World War One, And he had this cabin way up in the Sierra Madre Mountains, which is the Medicine Bow National Forest. Um, he, he had done time for poaching and things like that. And, and he was always he was always in trouble. The, the game wardens knew who he was. And, and, and at, at a particular time this month, actually in 1945 on Halloween of 1945, two game wardens went up there just to kind of check him, uh, check on him. And, uh, he ambushed them and, and he shot them dead before they really even got out of their, their vehicle. Um, the, the, the it's believed he was trying he later tried to destroy the bodies and hide them but it appears that in burning down his own cabin he caught fire himself and died okay. so um ultimately the the game and fish sent people up there to follow up on these two game wardens found them dead uh uh, found what they presumed was Moulton's remains in the cabin. Uh, and they brought everybody back and, and you know, uh, dealt with, dealt with uh, the aftermath of that crime. Uh, but they left the vehicle up there. They couldn't bring it down. It, it's a very, very difficult place. If you don't have a guide and you don't have a reliable four-wheel drive, uh, hiking shoes and know your survival uh, I wouldn't suggest going there but uh, some of the artifacts from that crime are we can see um, one of the game warden's badges which still had a bullet hole in it is part of a game and fish memorial I think in Casper um, the uh, Saratoga Museum has a few other little things that were taken or collected at that site. So you can go to the Saratoga Museum or the Game and Fish Memorial, I think, in Casper and see some of that stuff. 
Oh, wow. And talk about instant karma, right? I mean, that's a that's a heck of a way <laughs> for that story to wrap yeah. up. Well, and, and you know, uh, we, we tend to want to think of criminals as being really smart, but sometimes they they are so smart that they catch themselves so <laughs> no kidding in this case almost literally so wow all right there's uh there's another spot that you can go to but we can't get i can't personally get you close as maybe you'd like to but it's the wart hotel in jackson um, very famous place. It's been there for a long, long time. Back in 1964, uh, an Illinois family came there stay, to spend the night, see, see everything that Jackson Hole has to offer, Yellowstone, everything. Um, Mom and Dad one night went down to a floor show in the hotel's lounge and left their their daughters asleep in their second floor room when they came back to check on them um two of the girls had been slaughtered they'd been raped and strangled and bludgeoned um with a big rock um and the the room was a bloody mess but also lying on the floor with their bodies in a stupor was this barefoot and bloody dishwasher from from the restaurant named Andrew Pixley. And he'd come into the room through an open window. Um, he was arrested, of course, and, and claimed that he'd been drunk and didn't remember the attack. Uh, he went, to, he confessed to one of the girls' murders and was convicted by a jury of the other. Um, but uh, he wanted no appeals. He was sentenced to death, wanted no appeals. He opposed one stay of execution. He just wanted to die. So he, he was executed in 1965 uh, by lethal gas. Uh, his eyes were harvested and sent to the University of Colorado Medical School because he requested that. Um, and he was, Andrew Pixley was the second to the last person to be executed in Wyoming. Um, of course, Mark Hopkinson comes later in 1992, and Hopkinson is the last to be executed in Wyoming. But if you went to the Wart Hotel and you got on the second floor, um, you'd be near the room where this all happened the hotel um understandably doesn't doesn't reveal what room it was um and um maybe we just have to leave it at that wow gosh and to be found at the scene again you know in a really you know horrific event there's at least a silver lining that you know the the perpetrator was instantly caught yeah, yes. And sometimes it works out that way. Definitely. He, he yeah. certainly ended up making it a little easier uh, for justice to happen. No kidding. Wow. All right, that's three. What else do you have for us, Ron? Uh, back in the 1880s, there was this, it was, it was a sort of, um, I don't know, second-rate train robber and horse wrestler named George Parrot. And because he had this big nose, his, this giant nose, he, his nickname was Big Nose George. Oh. Um, and he, um, at some, it's in the 1870s, he puts together a gang of buddies and they go to rob a Union Pacific train near Medicine Bow. Uh, but a section crew uh, discovered them. The sheriff's posse came. Uh, there was a big shootout. Uh, George and his buddies killed a couple of deputies uh, and then ran away. And when he was finally captured, 
Uh, he admitted to the robbery and to the murder. He was arrested and he was taken back to Rollins for a trial. Uh, but uh, as happened back in those days, uh, vigilantes stopped stopped the, the the posse bringing him home to Rollins and um, uh, hanged George. Uh, he uh, his body was hanged there and on in, on Main Street in Rollins for a, a while. Uh, then was taken down by some local doctors who uh, ostensibly wanted to study his brain and see why he was a bad guy. But in the end, they go farther than that. Um, they turn his skull cap into a candy dish. They take, they, they skin him and they use his, make some shoes and lampshades um, the shoes they made, by the way, were worn by the next incoming governor of Wyoming at his own, at his, uh, inauguration. Uh, <laughs> I guess he was a law and order guy. Um, no kidding. <laughs> and, uh, another one of the final insults is they made a small coin for a small coin purse, uh, out of his scrotum. So, um, they, they put his part his the remaining parts in a whiskey barrel full of salt for a while. And then they buried him, um, down in that one of those doctors backyards, but, but all of these things persisted today. Um, the, the skull cap and the shoes and George's actual skull um, survive. They are uh, they they are on display at the uh, Carbon County Museum, History Museum down there. And uh, if you uh, if you go to the Union Pacific Railroad Museum, which is in Iowa. Uh, you can see some other artifacts related to all of that, including the, the medical bag that one of the doctors had and uh, some other parts. But um, so George lives on and, and maybe haunts us in pieces. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is that is graphic. That is a, but that you is can a... see them if you go into the Carbon County Museum there. Uh, you can see these parts and it is a little grim for sure. Uh, but it's again, uh, once you know the history of how this all happened, uh, there's, uh, there's a story and it's just a grisly thing. It's, it's kind of typical the way we treated, um, uh, criminals in those days. Definitely. Yeah, that's a dark part of our history that we tend to, to overlook and so and not talk about. But yeah, I mean, back in those days, I think it's it's worth remembering that people were offended by these these criminals. And there was a certain um, there was a certain urge to see that that justice was done, that the bad guy got what was coming to him. So in in many cases, bodies of criminals were displayed openly and publicly for a long time just kind of reinforced that uh this is what happens to bad guys so yeah and to prove that the bad guy was brought you know brought to justice in some way so right well and we kept that behavior up until literally world war ii i mean and that was when yeah. you know when we saw what was happening in the concentration camp sure. and we were like, Oh, we probably shouldn't be doing that kind of thing at home. <laughs> well, we show, you know, many pictures out there of John Dillinger's body and Bonnie and Clyde from, from the thirties. So yeah, I, you're right. We, we, that was a habit we kept up with. I came across not long ago, Charles Manson's body, but it was in his 
casket and <laughs> it was it was more sedate than than the rest of those but we still have that urge to see the justice done in one way or another definitely well let's do our last little thoughts the last one i this is this is one of those that really is uh interesting especially if you live there in cheyenne um back in the 1990s there there was a filmmaker from chicago named alan ross and he was interested in doing a documentary about a little sort of cult that that existed at the time in oklahoma and it was run by a woman named linda green and uh they had a lot of weird beliefs among them being that uh talking on the telephone allowed vampires to gain control over people uh anyway alan rice wanted to do a a, a documentary about this cult and so he joined uh he he associated himself with them in oklahoma Uh, didn't join the cult per se. But in the process of doing all this research, he fell in love with Linda Green and they married. Uh, Very, they uh, uprooted themselves and after running into some legal problems and they relocated in Cheyenne at a little, uh, a beautiful little Victorian home near the downtown. there, there Ross continued the relationship with Linda Green and, and the cult continued its business. Uh, but then he, he got tired of her and he threatened to leave her. Um, and in 1995, by 1995, they're fighting a lot. And uh, uh, then Ross's friends lose track of him completely. He's... He goes completely off the radar. Nobody knows where he is. Uh, The cult breaks up and moves on. Five years later, um, Ross's body is found buried in the crawl space of that home there in Cheyenne, where the cult had lived. Uh, He'd been shot once in the the head and, and buried in the basement, basically. Um, they suspected Linda Green, but by the time they got around to filing charges, she had died of natural causes. Uh, a woman who helped her, uh, bury Alan's body did a couple of years in prison, but that's it. Um, so while I was in Cheyenne here last week, uh, on, uh, on, a literary symposium that your college puts on. I visited that spot and I'm here to tell you that uh, the, the grave still exists. It has never been filled in. It's still down there in the crawl space. Um, it's a private home, so don't go knocking on the door and uh, expect to get to go in and crawl around. But Uh, It's there in Cheyenne. It's near the downtown. And it's one of those interesting stories that pops up in Wyoming that's just fascinating. Right. And I think you also shared that another another group came in and did a documentary over Alan. Is that correct? Yeah. A friend of his who was also a documentarian, of course, um, did a story, did a documentary about Alan and but during the time that he was missing that nobody knew what happened to him so that that uh, documentary is called I think uh, missing Alan or finding Alan but uh, missing Alan was the title of it Uh, and it was about his disappearance I they might have updated it since he was found a couple of years later Uh, but uh, yeah it's out there People can find it on on the internet, um, and uh, it's just another one of those uh, haunting stories. Again, if uh, I, you know, I don't know if that house gets trick or treaters, but it seems to be in a prime location. <laughs> no kidding, really is scary. No kidding. Well, Ron, thank you so much for your time. I'm gonna link 
all of uh, your books that we've mentioned into the show notes, along with some of the links to these stories, you know, if they're, you know, they're out there, including, I believe I found that Missing Allen documentary on YouTube, so it can, people can watch that for, for free of charge. And so, uh, and you, the word on the street is you also have a fiction book coming down the tunnel and and i think we're gonna have you back on unsolved wyoming to kind of plug that book as well yes i do uh covid drove me indoors i couldn't go out and do my research uh couldn't get a motel couldn't go to a restaurant interview people go to courthouses so i locked myself in my office and wrote a mystery and it's coming in february of 2023 well, great. Well, I know folks will be excited to have you back on the podcast. And uh, in the meantime, have a happy spooky season. Yes, you too. Happy Halloween. Hi, folks. I'm here today with Rick Young. Rick, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm the museum director here at Fort Casper Museum. So I do a little bit of a lot of stuff. Uh, the museum has a uh, an interpretive center, a museum that covers central Wyoming history. And then we're located on a historic site that has the uh, 1865 fort that was located here on the Oregon, California, Mormon pioneer Pony Express Trail. Can't say that fast three times because yeah, that, that's <laughs> really amazing. Um, yeah, tr- truth is, there were, uh, you know, through the 19th century during the Great Migration, this site was very active, a lot of traffic passing through here on all of those uh, westward trails. Goodness. And and so uh, how long have you been in the position that you've been in? Yeah, I've actually been here 37 years. 30? Believe it or not, it's been a long time. Yeah. Wow. And so are you native to Wyoming? You know, I'm not. I moved out here from St. Louis. Uh, I was working for a museum back there and I wanted to try living out here in the West and limited my search to Wyoming and Western Montana. And I landed in Casper and fell in love with the place and stayed. That's incredible. Oh, goodness. And so a, a St. A Saint Louis transplant. You don't, you don't hear that too often. Yeah. 150 years after everybody else was on the trail. <laughs> well, that's amazing. And so can you tell us, uh, you know, it's spooky season, it's October. And so, and as we know that there is a huge pool for, you know, celebrating the season, what is it that you offer for folks to do at the, at the fort? Well, several years ago with the, you know, the, beginnings of all of this reality tv and there were these ghost hunter shows on on television we decided that uh, we would offer that here at fort casper we would offer an evening of ghost hunting our ghost tour of the fort so uh, the last two weekends in october for the last several years now uh, this year it's going to be the 21st 22nd and the 28th and 29th uh, it's a ticketed event where you get an hour-long tour of ghost hunting here at the at the site. That sounds like a ton of fun. So, with your ghost hunting, do you do you guys provide tools or in a in a guide? How does that how does it look? Yeah, this year it's actually going to be a little different. This year, in the past, you had a guide take you around to uh, four different locations, and you were told stories of of some of the things, uh, incidents that have occurred, you know, ghost stories and things that, that have happened here at the fort. This year, we decided to mix it up a little bit, and uh, we invested in a lot of the ghost hunting equipment that you see used on TV, the, the voice recorders and the rim pods and the cameras, etc. So this, as a ghost hunter, you will actually have a guide sort of follow you around but you'll be doing your own investigation your own ghost hunting then you'll turn in all of your material our uh, volunteers will go through the material screen it see if anything was found and then we'll email you the results of uh, of your ghost hunt i want to go <laughs> that sounds like a trip oh my goodness what a cool experience yeah it, it is a lot of fun and it's uh it does sell out every year so you know as a ticketed event sooner would be better than later for for getting your tickets and are tickets available right now 
They're on sale right now. Yes. Fantastic. They $12 too. Oh, $12. What a steal. Excellent. Well, it really is a pretty good bargain. Well, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. I've been asking my folks who are kind of in the business, so to speak. Well, do you believe in hauntings? Well, I can tell you that there has been a lot of unexplained activity here that that I have no explanation for. Um, our staff has has had experiences. Our volunteers have. Tourists have. Um, people that have been going on these ghost hunting tours in past years. It's just countless numbers of activities that have happened out here. So it's kind of hard to, you know, and my, you know, my husband's not a believer. And so whenever, you know, people tell him, he's like, well, I don't know how you explain that, but you know, maybe it's not a ghost, but maybe it is. I know you said that you haven't personally experienced anything, but that, that there have been some things that have happened, you know, where, you know, you put something somewhere and then you don't, you find it somewhere completely different. Yeah, we've had, we've had things move um, that I can't explain. And uh, the buildings, it's not like visitors are getting inside the buildings and moving things because they're set up with alarms. Uh, oh. But we'll, we'll find a number of different things moved. Uh, we found a chair pushed in front of a door once. Uh, we've, you know, found candles, candles moved around. There's a, a checkers game where the pieces move. Uh, we found rifles cocked that weren't cocked. Oh, God. Uh, just, it's just one thing after another. There's just all sorts of, of things being moved. Um, yeah. We've also, you know, found footprints in the middle of a building. That one I could not explain either, but it was started in the middle of one room and went to the middle of another room, wet bare feet. And there's motion detectors. You cannot have a person walk through that room without setting it off. I don't know what caused that, but it's uh, pretty unexplainable. Uh, we've also had a number of the uh, EVPs, the electronic voice phenomenon. Mm -hmm. uh, disembodied voices appear on the recordings when nobody's there and nobody's talking. Uh, that's pretty curious. Um, we recently in the museum found print inside of an exhibit case. And inside. there's no way to put that there. You cannot reach that. You cannot get to it. It just appeared inside the case. I can't explain that one either. Oh so, so there's a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, I bet you're just in a constant state of chill bumps all the time. Yeah, Not I mean, we've, we've had tourists um, who could not know each other from different states and in different years come up to the staff and pull them aside and go, you know, the fort's haunted, right? And they all tell the same story about a shadow figure they see in the cavalry barracks. And it's the same story every time. Really? Oh, that, that just gave me goosebumps. That's wild. And so, and I think, so along with obviously, you know, the haunted attraction, you know, in, in the ghost, um, the ghost tours, and and this was something that I actually just talked to my last um, my last uh, interview about is that you know typically you know what is related to hauntings or causes hauntings is a really rich history of trauma or traumatic events. And so, do you go into that history about the fort? You know, a, a little bit. We'll talk about it uh, during the tours, uh, but it's mostly focused on the incidents that have been, that have happened to people um, not so much of what the cause was, but, but things that have actually happened. But as far as trauma, you know, over the, the years we've through making ground improvements and putting in new things, we've accidentally uncovered nine skeletons on the property so far. Oh there's, my goodness. There's probably more buried here. Um, there's a couple of places that I suspect but I don't have a reason to dig them up. So I'm not going to all of these others happened by accident as we were making improvements, but, uh, but nine bodies and certainly some of them, uh, uh, you know, were killed. So yeah. it's, it's interesting. One of the guys had 50 arrowheads in him. Oh, wow. Gosh, I, I did not think this, I, I, 
it's funny I didn't think this conversation was gonna go this way and so I'm I'm just shocked that's wild yeah we have a couple of those in the museum collection okay um, and then we found it and we put in our uh, parking lot and he was killed if it's who we think it is he was killed at the battle of Platte bridge so we're in the process of trying to find family to do a DNA test and, and find out if it's really him. And if it is, then we'll uh, take him back to Kansas and have him buried in his family plot. Uh, but the rest of the bodies, we don't know who they were, um, but uncovered accidentally on the Fort property. Goodness. Well, I guess the silver lining there is at least there's one person that you can lay properly to rest. You know. So that's our hope. If we can, if we can track down family to do the DNA test, it's it's our hope that we can take him back to Kansas, if it's who we think it is. Right, right. So I, I think this is a great event. I think this is a way for people to get interested in Wyoming history and and you know and and be involved. Is there any, anything else that you want to share about your experiences or or tales about uh, Fort Casper? Well, you know, like I said, there's there's EVPs. We've found things moved. People have told me about being touched. Tourists have seen shadow figures. We have a couple, just a couple of apparition pictures. Oh. Um, we recently had a uh, psychic medium that appears on the Travel Channel. Uh, she was out here in the spring and uh, wide-eyed and... Uh, pulled us aside and said, this is the most haunted place I've ever been to. Oh, no. And she's oh, on the travel channel all the time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's funny. I, um, you know, recently some girlfriends and I, we traveled down to Savannah, Georgia, and I don't know, I can't remember exactly what he said the ratings were, but to get the claim to fame of being the most haunted city in America is a pretty big deal. And it's one thing to be the most haunted city, but to work somewhere super haunted where a psychic is like, this is really haunted. I don't I don't know how that would sit well with me. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's maybe it's just because I've been here a long time, but I I've never had problems. I've never been, you know, scared. It's just more curiosity. Wow. How do you explain that? Right. Um, no kidding. But a, a, and, you know. With her working on the Travel Channel on all those those ghost shows, for her to claim it's the most haunted place she's been is, is pretty interesting. No kidding. And so I know you said you you felt you know, you know, unthreatened, you know, and and not scared. But have you had employees who have felt, you know, that way? Nobody. None of the staff that I've had here has ever told me they've been afraid. It's it's sort of the same thing. Wow, this is this is curious. How do we explain this? This is interesting, but, but nobody's felt threatened. That's good. That's good. Well, I think that's, that's so fascinating. And uh, I can't wait to uh, hear people go to your event and it obviously sounds like a very popular thing. And so we'll get the word out and uh, I'll, I might have, I might not be able to make it this year, but maybe next year I will be up there because I think ghost hunting with tools sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's a great evening at the fort. Excellent. And I and and is that on a web address? Do you have a web link for that? Uh, yeah, you can just pull us up at uh, fortcasperwyoming.com. Fortcasperwyoming.com. All right, and spell I will... out spell out Wyoming and uh, and we should come right up. I will link that in our show notes so people can go there and get their ticket. For October 21st and 22nd and 28th and 29th. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, folks. I'm here with founding member of Midnight West Productions, Josh Saxon. Josh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi. Um, so I am a Cheyenne, Wyoming native, born and raised. I've been uh, interested in film and film production since I was a little, little kid. And I've also been interested in the paranormal since I was also a very little kid. Um, film is probably one of the biggest parts of my life just because it's something that everybody is able to connect to and everybody is always, you know, talking about their favorite shows or their favorite movies or what they watched in the last week. It's just one of the, the great unifiers of our society. I totally agree. And 
uh, I don't think a lot of people know, but back in the day, um, you know, I, I, and this is actually how I got into podcasting a little bit is, you know, we were used to work together on some projects, but then I decided to start having babies. And so now I have to hang out alone, um, you know, while babies are napping. And so, which has helped me get into podcasting. And so, but it was a lot of fun working with the group and just the product that you guys put out is super high quality. And so I think that's the other thing that to let folks know is that if they have large projects that need good film or editing or, you know, some of the other services that you offer that they should give you guys a call for, for those um, services as well. Yes, absolutely. And we are willing to work with anybody in Wyoming, Northern Colorado. Um, we especially work with nonprofits. We have a, a lot of experience with doing work with the Cheyenne Little Theater Players. And uh, we've also helped support the uh, Wyoming State Theater Board as well. Incredible. I, I know you guys do some just incredible work from just being a part of it and just watching y'all grow and, and everything like that. And And I also know that you have a pretty solid interest in true crime too and have looked at and doing to some true crime projects yes we have um our ghost tours that we run at the atlas during midnight west fest was uh partially sparked by our interest in true crime a few of the midnight west fest or midnight west production members had uh used a ouija board to conduct seances up in the atlas and then uh with the information that they gained from the ouija board about murders that happened there they were able to go to the wyoming state archives and then verify death records and newspaper clippings from the late 1800s and, holy uh, cow yeah everything intense that, everything that we talk about when we're upstairs actually happened verifiably at least it's not just some scary story you made up No, not just hearsay or some folktale. It's something that we actually took the time to go and research ourselves and verify and make sure that we could figure out whatever details were missing from the incomplete story that we were getting through the Ouija board, which uh, is probably one of the most unreliable narrators there is for a story. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, yeah, no, definitely something that... Um... Yeah, I can I can agree with that, I think. Uh, so tell us what you have coming up this, this coming week. Is it next weekend? It's next weekend, uh, October 21st through 23rd. We are holding Midnight West Fest, which is our annual independent film festival and uh, live event. We have two stand-up comedians who will be out there performing, myself and uh, Joseph Darling, who is another member of Midnight West Productions. We've also got a uh, live gunfight, which will take place on stage, being uh, performed by the Cheyenne Gunslingers. Then Saturday night, we have a uh, burlesque dancer uh, from Ashes performance artist who will be bookending a local Cheyenne band, Demise of Sanity, before we go into our uh, horror and grindhouse block that is basically what we set the whole festival up for. Right. No, because I, I mean, at the heart of this is indie films. So that's so cool that you, you know, have kind of gone from, you know, showcasing, you know, other indie films and, you know, have kind of developed it into this really amazing experience. Well, we try and bill it as a experience, especially given the fact that we get to take people on tours of the most haunted building in all of Wyoming. It, it definitely uh, adds to that. You know, it's not just a stuffy film festival where you come and sit and watch six hours of films and half of them are terrible. Uh, we, <laughs> uh, we vet everything. We select all of the best submissions. And then on top of that, we try and give everybody a event and a spectacle that they will talk about for weeks afterwards. Yeah, no kidding. And so so the event itself is actually being held at the Atlas Theater. Yes, it is being held at the Atlas Theater. Um, we do all of our screenings in the theater itself. This year, we will have a carnival midway set up in the lobby, uh, reminiscent of the old Hauntless, Haunted Atlas uh, spook shows that used to be performed back in the 90s. And then uh, we've also got the ghost tours going on upstairs on the formerly condemned second and third floors of the Atlas as well. Okay. 
Okay. And, and, uh, you mentioned that you, you also have purchased some ghost hunting tools for such, for such event. Yes, we have. Uh, we are trying to obtain a good spirit box right now, so that's still uh, still in the works. But we did manage to get EMF meters for every single person that we're going to take on the tour. Okay. And we also have a FLIR infrared. Well, it's not a... We have an infrared camera that we are uh, going to be filming everybody's experiences with. Um, that way, if anybody you know sees a shadow or something and we can verify that with the, the infrared meter that something was actually there then uh, you know that's just icing on the cake and we can send that to the people who are there that's yeah qu quite the souvenir right <laughs> it's not every day that you get the chance to go into a haunted building and try and prove for yourself and everybody else that it's haunted yeah so just in case because I mean, I, I would say back in the day, I uh, was able to hang with the best of them and, and go through the spooky things. But let's say that maybe, you know, I'm getting a little overwhelmed. I'm getting a little too scared. Is there a safe word or an evacuation plan for an individual who may be overwhelmed by the experience? Yeah, we will have <laughs> a dedicated team hosting the ghost hunts. And we will always have at least one person in backup who will be able to come up and help evacuate anybody that needs it or uh, help lead somebody down in the dark if uh, if things get a little bit too overwhelming. Amazing. It sounds like your group has thought of everything possible to make sure that people have a fantastic and spooky time. Well, we also are offering uh, daylight historic tours for people who don't quite have the uh, nerve to go upstairs in the dark and wander around for half an hour <laughs> well that's awesome well how cool so so there's that part to it too so it's like scary light and then scary heavy yeah okay okay we try and make sure that there's something for every one of our audience members that comes through whether or not they like comedy or family-friendly films or are a hardcore horror junkie okay well josh thank you so much is there anything else that you want to include for listeners um, I just want to give a huge shout out to you of, of all people for, you know, every amazing thing that you do and trying to help find answers for families that really need them. Oh, thanks, Josh. That means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. Um, we really appreciate everything that you do, too. You are an amazing teacher, as I've discovered over the last few years. You are an amazing, just all around good person who all, all you want to do is help. And that means the world to all of us. Good afternoon, Desiree. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Enjoying this crisp fall weather. A little windy here today, though, in Cheyenne, of course. It wouldn't be fall without the wind. Yeah, it's been nice here. Oh, good. So I know that it's been a busy week. What's going on with DCI? Yeah, so Laramie Police Department asked for assistance in locating two juveniles. Both were found shortly after. The Mills Police Department is asking for assistance in locating Angelo Carabello. I believe it's pronounced that way. Sorry if I mispronounced it. He did not return home after a football game on September 30th. It's believed that he may be in the Midwest area of Wyoming. If you see him, please contact the Mills Police Department at 307-266-4796. Two cases have been removed from DCI's database, both from Natrona County, and three new cases have been added to the database. Alexander Brown, age 17, was last seen on the Wind River Reservation September 23rd. He's a Native American male, approximately 5'9", 150 pounds, with brown eyes and brown shoulder-length hair. He was last seen wearing black framed glasses. Anyone with information, please contact the Bureau of Indian Affairs at 307-332-3112. Laura Lee Sherv, age 16, was last seen in Casper on September 25th. She's a white female, approximately 5'6", 120 pounds, with blue eyes and blonde hair and pierced ears. She was last seen wearing blue jeans with rips, Adidas shoes with a blue strip, and a gray zip sweater. Anyone with information, please contact Casper PD at 
1.78. Priscilla Morales, age 13, was last seen in Casper on September 24th. She's a white female, approximately 5'2", 99 pounds, with brown eyes and brown hair. She was last seen wearing black shorts and a blue sweater. Anyone with information, please contact Casper PD at 307-235-8278. And with all cases, you can contact Wyoming DCI at 307-777-7181. They also have the option to submit tips anonymously on their website. Thank you so much, Desiree. I really appreciate you as always. Before I go, I have a few housekeeping items. One, the Cheyenne Police Department wants to remind people it's against the law to house any reported runaway. I know this is complicated because it's most likely not black and white. And last, and I'm just over the moon about this, there has been a development in the disappearance of Irene Gakwa. Yesterday, FBI and local law enforcement executed a second search warrant on Nathan Heitman's residence. This is huge, and I know we're all anticipating the findings. I want to thank you for joining me in the first haunted episode, and I especially want to thank all of my guests for joining me. I'll see you next week. <laughs>